All right, you guys, why don't you go ahead and get your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 2. We're looking at verses 42 through 47. And if you're newer to Calvary and you haven't uh, been going through the book of Acts with us yet, I encourage you to get on our YouTube page or our Facebook page, or you can subscribe to our podcast. You can go back and listen to our book of Acts studies so far. Uh, What you see in the book of Acts is a continuation of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In those Gospels, we see the good news of what Jesus has done for us, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, lived a sinless life, even though he was tempted in all points as we are. He was without sin. He was betrayed by his friends. He was delivered up to be crucified. Uh, His blood atoned for our sins. The just was given over for us, the unjust. And in that, uh, he was buried and laid in the ground. Three days later, he didn't stay dead, right? He rose from the dead. And then he spent 40 days on the earth showing that he was alive. He showed that he was alive with many infallible proofs. And after those 40 days, as he was about to ascend up to heaven, uh, to his throne, uh, he told the disciples to go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, would come in and upon those disciples, and they would be witnesses, courageous witnesses to go out in the world and to spread the light and the hope of Jesus. And Jesus says, you got to listen to me. I'm telling you, it's better that I go to the Father so that I can send the Holy Spirit, because then you're going to have great and radical power in all of you to go shine the light uh, throughout the world. And so we've been studying in Acts chapter 2 that day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit did come, and uh, he poured himself out upon the Christians of 120 Christians in that day, and they began to speak in tongues, and they became very bold in sharing the gospel. And really the boldest of all that day was Peter as he stood up and he shared the gospel to a, a number of people who were confused and wondered what this, all these different languages and everything meant. Uh, we saw last week from Chris's message that Peter preached boldly. He preached Jesus, the historical Jesus. He preached the sinner of the listeners and how they needed forgiveness. He preached how this was all fulfillment of prophecy And if they would repent and turn from their sins and be baptized, they'd be forgiven of their sins and that the Holy Spirit would come upon them just like it had there. And so that kind of leads us into our sermon uh, today in Acts chapter two. I'm gonna just have you look one verse before um, we have in the slides, but it says uh, in verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So this is what we call in the biz, a revival, okay? Uh, A lot of people coming to Jesus, a lot of people getting saved. And uh, even many of these people, probably just a number of weeks before were the ones that were chanting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then they realized, what have we done? They were cut to the heart and they repented from their sin. That day they were added to what was called the church. Here we see the birth of the church and 3,000, perhaps 3,120 Christians are there in Jerusalem that day. Um, and so where we find ourselves today is verses 42 through 47. I'm going to read it if you want to follow along with me. It says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together together. And all held all, had all things in common 
and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So as we're in Acts 2, 42 through 47, uh, the sermon today is called Signs of a Healthy Church. And specifically, I'm gonna give you five signs of a healthy church. And this is really like the best ever church growth seminar. Uh, tons of books have been written, but you know what? They all miss the mark. Really, you can just follow what the word gives us. And especially these five points from the book of Acts. Now, there's an old book on business called In Search of Excellence. And at the end of that book, there's a conclusion that although the number of excellent businesses may all be diverse, some manufacturers, some businesses of sales, some had various products, etc. Each of kind of these stellar businesses in the book had one thing in common, and that was namely that they did the basics well most of the time. They did the basics well most of the time. And you know, that's something that we endeavor to do as a church. We can see from the basics, from these foundational things from Acts 2, 42 through 47, here's the basics. There used to be a, an old band way back in the 90s, oh, For Him, I think they were called, and they used to sing, we need to get back to the basics of life. Anybody? Nobody? Nobody. For Him. No? Yeah? Oh, yeah. You just went back 20, maybe 30 years. All right. You're welcome for that. All right. So, uh, so we desire to do these basics well well as well. And we want to do it most of the time, right? Or all the time. That's what our endeavoring is, okay? And so I'm excited to go through the book of Acts with you because we'll see this throughout the book. Great models to follow. Lord, give us wisdom on how to see what is just descriptive in the book of Acts. That is descriptions and things that are prescriptive, things that are like, do this, church, okay? And I think that this would be a very good description with some prescription in it. All right, so let's look at it. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. We see here New Testament Christianity. We see here Christianity in its simplest form. So simple. Sometimes we try to make it so complicated, but Acts chapter two helps us to just boil it down to those basics. What evidence does Luke give us that this group of individuals was filled with the Holy Spirit. There's five evidential points here for us. And number one uh, here today is that they were a learning church, okay? They gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine. I jumped ahead just a bit because we see how they gave themselves to these five things. It says that they gave themselves steadfastly to those. You might take a little pen if you're a note taker and underline that word steadfastly. Uh, have you ever known just a, a steadfast person? You know, and in conversation, you're referring to that individual. And like, you know what? He's just steadfast. You know, he's just rock steady. He's the Chevy of people, you know, like a rock, right? Uh, Daniel's like, don't even talk to me about it. We're Dodge people in our house. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but, you know, you steadfast individuals, these are people that you can trust and rely on. They're faithful. And a steadfast action is an action that has earnestness involved. When they gave themselves steadfastly to learning, they were, they were earnest towards this practice. Steadfastness speaks of persevering. 
It speaks of being consistently diligent. One phrase uh, in the definition is to attend assiduously towards something. Now, I don't even really know what that means, but that's the word that always sticks in my mind when I think about the book of Acts. We're even in Acts in middle school group on Wednesdays, and I'm like, hey, kids, the early church gave themselves assiduously to the apostles' doctrine, and they're like, I don't know what that means. And I'm like, me neither, but let's do it, all right? It means to be steadfast, right? It means to be faithful in something and to persevere in it. And so what was something they persevered in? That number one, the apostles' doctrine, They were a learning church. The American Standard Version says that they devoted themselves continually and persistently to the apostles' doctrine and the word of God. John Stott, the late Scottish preacher, said, one might perhaps say that the Holy Spirit opened a school in Jerusalem that day. Its teachers were the apostles whom Jesus had appointed, and there were 3,000 new kindergartners that day. We note that the new converts not only enjoyed, uh, rather were not enjoying a mystical experience which led them to despise their mind or to disdain theology, anti-intellectualism and the fullness of the spirit are mutual incompatible because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You know, sometimes in the church we get lazy and we become anti-intellectual, we enjoy some of the ecstatic and dramatic things and the emotional things and the things that tickle our funny bone and cause goosebumps to come up on the back. And you know what the Lord says in 1 Corinthians 12? Like that's not the sign of something that loves Jesus. The sign is our confession, our confession that Jesus is Lord. So Christians are Christians who love theology. We love to learn more and more about the deep biblical truths. And uh you know, we, we live in a day and age, though, where this is, this is drifting off. This love for doctrine is drifting off uh, with all of the progressives and with all of the dismantling of Christianity. People are getting away from the Bible, and a value of Scripture has been eroded. I'm telling you right now, here at Calvary Chapel, you guys, we believe in the inspiration of the Scripture, that it was breathed out by God, and that it is profitable for doctrine and for correction and for reproof and for training every man uh, in, in doctrine and in theology. We believe that the Bible is also inerrant and infallible. That means it's without errors and it's incapable of errors. We value the word. We stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, all right? And so we give ourselves continually to it. We wanna be like the early church that sat at the apostles' feet, that is hungry to receive instruction, that perseveres in it. A man named Dr. Bruce Milne wrote a book called Know the Truth. And in that, he, sh- he shared about the value of growing our minds in intellect concerning doctrine. He said four different things I'll share with you. Number one, every Christian is a theologian. Did you know that? Do you ever think of yourself as a theologian? Every Christian is a theologian in the sense that theology is the science of God or theology is the knowledge of God that emerges from an acquaintance with God brought about by the work of the Holy Spirit and instructed through the pages of Scripture. Bruce Milne said, secondly, getting doctrine right is the key to getting everything else right. So what do you have going on in your life right now? You wanna be a part of the church? You wanna serve? You wanna use your spiritual gifts? You wanna be an evangelist? You wanna go to Nepal with us? You wanna be a parent? You wanna be a dad? You wanna be a husband? You guys know doctrine. Belief brings about right behavior or right belief brings about right behavior. 
I think it was Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, those who believe, obey. So know what you believe, know the word, get into the Bible and get into Bible studies, primarily with those that the Lord has entrusted over you to rightly divide the word, your elders and your pastors. Getting doctrine right is the key to getting everything else right. Third thing that Milne says, a study of Christian doctrine is an expression of loving God with all our minds. It's a way that we love the Lord. Uh, Pastor Johnny, who was leading worship here, and now he's back with the middle schoolers teaching your kids about how to know where the Bible came from. Uh, It's a great thing for the kids to be learning at this age. Uh, Johnny has such a passion for education. You might know he's a biology teacher. You might know that he leads Grizzly Mountain Home Link and kind of got that rocking in the community. And uh, and we've just been praying about uh, with Pastor Chris uh, school of ministry and getting that revived again in our church and teaching all of you how to know the Bible, know where the Bible came from, uh, know how to interpret the Bible. Believe it or not, there's rules of literature on how to interpret the Bible. As Peter said, not every one of you gets to have your own private interpretation. Boy, doesn't that go against the world of our day? This world's like, oh, that's your interpretation. I'll interpret my way. You're like, well, who's right? Because mine's telling me something. It's yours is telling you something different. I don't know why. It's like the Lord's like, you know what? No. Holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote stuff that we need that has truth in it, okay? Uh, so all that to be said, be praying for us. We had a meeting recently. We're looking at what an outline could look like, how it could look like in our community, how to dig deep. Everyone's got a schedule. Everyone has like 10 to 15 kids. Everyone's a coach. Everyone's, you know, and it's like, but how can we also love the Lord with all of our mind? So it's a way to love the Lord. Last thing from Milne, it's impossible to separate Christ from the truths that scripture reveal concerning him. If you wanna know Jesus, know the scripture. In Luke chapter 24, the resurrected Jesus spoke to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he opened up their mind to comprehend all the things that were spoke concerning him. And beginning in the prophets and going through the law, or rather the law through the prophets, he showed everything in the Old Testament that spoke of Jesus. You wanna know Jesus? You gotta get into the word. So get into the word. Let's be like the early church. Let's give ourselves continually to the apostles' doctrine. Again, Stott said, since the teaching of the apostles has come down to us in definitive form in the New Testament, contemporary devotion to the apostles' teaching will mean submission to the authority of the New Testament. A spirit-filled church is a New Testament church in the sense that it studies and submits to New Testament instruction. The spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. Can I say that again? The spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the word of God. Hey guys, can I just, can we drive? If I had a chair up here, I'd put it backwards and sit like a high school teacher and then put my hat on backwards and be like, can we drive for a second? Can we wrap for just a minute? Okay, we live in a day and age that is completely eroding a value for the word of God and is completely bought into this. Everybody has their own interpretation. You guys, we can go back historically and see what our founding fathers had to say regarding the script. And I'm not talking about America, although yay, go America. Uh, I'm talking about the fathers, the apostles, the prophets, and the value of the scripture. We can look at Orthodox Christianity and see the doctrinal truths that they held firm that were worth dying on, the hills worth dying on. Now there's things that they're gray. There's areas within Christianity that spiritual gifts, some people have some different understanding on. And that's been known to be a gray and open-handed area. The rapture of the church, when's that gonna happen? The baptism with the Holy Spirit. Some of those different things, they're open-handed issues. Nobody totally knows, and everyone's always said, nobody totally knows, here's my best understanding, here's my conviction on it, but really we're open-handed. 
And then there's things that were closed-handed on. There's things that the church has always been closed-handed on. There's things that the Bible speaks very clearly on. And we will not waver and we will not falter and we will die on these hills as a church and as your leadership. And that's a good thing. That's a thing to be thankful for. God is truth. His word is true. And we can know truth. Now, what do we do with this truth that you speak of, Rory? Well, we live in a day and age that also hates the word submit. And did you know that submission is a mark of a spirit-filled person? We all submit to various people. There's different roles and offices in our community that we're called to defer to you. I defer to you. I submit to you, your wisdom, your role. The Lord has set you up in my life as a leader in my life, and I submit to you. Various relationships that we have, we're called to submit to, and we're all called to submit to the word of God. Many people want to take their ideas and their culture and cram it into the Bible and say, serve me, Bible. That's called eisegesis. It means that we read into the Bible from our culture and we try to make the Bible bow down and serve us when really what the Bible is, it's for us to draw out of in exegesis and we can learn and grow from the Bible who the Lord desires us to be and we bow down to the authority of the word. We bow down and let it shape us and mold us and conform us into the image of Christ. A New Testament church that's filled with the Spirit will be a church that's submissive to the Word of God. And so we give ourselves regularly at Calvary Prineville to the preaching of the Word of God. It's been said before that methods are many and principles are few. Methods keep changing, but principles never do. Guys, there's all kinds of things that churches do today that are wonderful things. In some churches, they've got this flavor. They've got that flavor. They've got this heart, this type of ministry. You know, some people, no way, Jose, we're not doing a screen up here. No way, don't get, get the old book out. Get the old hymnal out, you know, let's get back to the, you know. And it's like, that's fine. Methods and reaching certain groups and people, that's all fine. But you know what? The principles that we stand on, there's few and they'll never change. One of those principles is we give ourselves to the Bible The second one is, you're like, Rory, you said that there's five. We've been on number one for like 45 minutes. Well, don't worry, we're going into the second one here. Are you ready for it? Number two, foundational principle that we see here in the early church, they gave themselves continually to, can anybody guess it? Fellowship, fellowship. What is this fellowship that you speak of, Rory? Well, as Pastor Ken Graves put it, it's two fellows in the same ship, you know? It's essentially like we're living life together, you know? We're, we're together, we know each other, we're living life, you know? Um, and, and that is essentially fellowship. They were a loving church. Not only were they a learning church, they were a loving church. It comes from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia, which means to share. They shared with one another. They were generous toward one another. And, and it is one wonderful thing to be generous uh, people. And I, you know what I got to say, our church is such a generous church. Like if there is a need, you guys are on it. You guys are givers. And I rejoice in that. But you know what else it is? It's sharing ourselves. It's sharing our hearts. It's sharing our minds. It's sharing our, it's sharing our time, our calendar, our clock. Being with one another is part of being in fellowship. In fact, being in koinonia More than even being together, it's interacting with the body. The language speaks of having all things in common. The beautiful thing about Christian fellowship is, is it doesn't matter if you're 70 and I'm 17, 
we can still have awesome koinonia fellowship together. Like that's the beauty of the gospel. The world out there is like, well, if you're my same age and you like the same things I like and you dress the same that I dress and you do that and the other, I'll hang out with you. But in the gospel, it's, dude, you love Jesus, I love Jesus. Let's talk about him. Let's rejoice in him. Let's hang out. Let's, let's be together in the same ship, if you know what I'm saying, all right? I'm just encouraging my son in this last week. He's 15 years old. He loves Jesus. He serves in the church. And I was sick, if you remember. You know, Thanks for praying for me, by the way. And so I was watching it all on live stream. And Russell got home and I was like, son, how was church today? He's like, it was good. It was good. I was a little lonely. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You're like, you were lonely? First of all, he's a little Rory and we know no strangers, just in case you're wondering. Um, but I'm like, dude, like, he's like, yeah, you know, Eli was busy and Jacob was busy. And this. I'm like, well, you know, like there's other people at the church, right? You know, like you gotta like, he's like, I know dad, I was, I was trying to reach out. And I was like, I was like, you know, there's like, it's okay to go talk to the older guys. It's okay to, you know, he's like, I know. I, so it's like, he's like, I know I was trying. I, you know, it's like, man, we got to bust out of like, well, if you're like me, then I like you. All right. It's like, man, let's get to know each other in the gospel. That's how we have all things in common. That's how we have this kind of koinonia or fellowship or sharing. Now, it's even more than just showing up, you guys. I got to tell you, I love that you're here. But did you know that biblical fellowship is more than arriving right at the moment that worship starts or maybe even 10 minutes after? And then the second I say, oh man, then you're like, pew, pew, you know, and uh, like, hey, glad you're here. Don't get me wrong, but you're missing out and you're robbing us from all the blessings that God has for you, has for us through you, okay? And one scripture that helps us understand this is Hebrews chapter 10, If you look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, it tells us what our fellowship should look like. When we come together, we consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. So think about that. The next time you come to Calvary, before you even get in the car to come down here, maybe even in the morning, or maybe as you're walking in the door, you just think, help me to be considerate towards people. All right, now I'm going through a little, it's a little ABC book with my seven-year-old, and it's God's brave boys are... A, adventurous. God's brave boys are bold. And as you get to see, God's brave boys are considerate. And some of you are like, God's brave boys, that's the silliest thing. I'm telling you, some of you don't stick around because you're chicken. Your chicken is what you are. You're scared. Scared of what God's gonna do. Someone's gonna like you and then they're gonna invite you out to lunch. And then what? Oh no, then we're really plugged into this church. Sorry, it is how it works. All right, so look at me. God's brave boys are considerate. It means you're thinking about other people. So when you come to the church, you're looking around. Is there a lonely person here? Is there someone who I know is hurting? Is there someone that I know is broken? Can I pray for someone, encourage someone? I saw you up on the Nepal team. I'm gonna go pray for you. What are your, all those sorts of things. We're considerate. So why do we do that? So that we can stir up love and good works. We promote one another towards those godly things. And then it goes on to say in Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. You know, back in the days of the Hebrews where the book was written, people were being persecuted for loving Jesus. They were getting kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of their family, persecuted, and many of them were abandoning the faith and getting out of church. And the author says, hey, some people are doing that, not you. Don't forsake the assembling of yourself together. Now you might say, I come every Sunday, Rory. What more do you want? I want you to look at the word assembly. Okay, assembly, what does that mean? Little word picture for you. 
you go to Costco, right? Favorite place, everyone loves Costco. The samples are incredible, okay, all right? You go past the wonderful woven knits and the fleece pullovers, and then between the fleece pullovers and the jalapeno popper section, you know, or the uh, artichoke jalapeno dip, there's that section with like all the sweet stuff that dudes want. You're like, wakeboard, yes, please. Air compressor, need it. Uh, giant children's play structure, load her up, you know. So you order the children's play structure, okay? And uh, you see it hanging there in all of its glory. You pull your flatbed up to the front and you're like, load her up. And here comes a guy with the little push cart, you know? And on the push cart is a box. You're wondering where the play structure is. He says, you'll notice on the box it says, right? Some assembly required. So you take it home, you get all your buddies together, you barbecue, you say, help me put this play structure together. You crack it open. It's got the instructions, got all the parts and all the nuts and all the bolts and the slides. And you're like, I know we've been there. It's included, it includes that incredible little Allen, Allen wrench. Thank God for that Allen wrench. What would we do without that thing? I mean, I don't know. We've only sent people to the moon and we're still using that stupid thing. What in the world? Like, this is your sign that evolution isn't true because we would have moved like to a Phillips head by this point, okay? Anyways, you know, and so as you form this thing together, you know everything has a place and it begins to be put together and it's useful. But when you end up afterwards with like six things that never got put on there, a whole bunch of extra parts that you kind of chuck behind the woodshed, you know, and you're like, yeah, it'll do, you know, put a helmet on your kid because that thing's falling down, Okay. And that's the church when you're not assembling, when you're not being put in the spot that God has for you. And did you know every one of you has a spot? I'm not trying to be like, oh, yay, Barney and friends, everyone has a spot. No, biblically, you have a spot. The the scripture says that everyone who believes in Jesus has been given at least one spiritual gift, multiple, I believe multiple, but at least one, we'll go with at least one, and that you have a part to play in it. And I just wonder what yours is. I was just talking with Merle. Weren't we just talking over in the donut time? Like Merle's a farrier and we have a ranching ministry and he's talking to me about, oh man, you might try this on your horse next time and this and that. And he literally, our conversation three minutes before that, he's like, I don't know what my spot is in this church. I wanna know though, I wanna know so bad. And I'm like, and the next thing you know, he's talking about coffin bones and you know hoof walls and all these things on a horse. And I'm like, dude, we got a ton of guys that are serving Jesus by roping and branding and pushing cattle. And they don't have time to shoe their horses. Oh. Everybody get Merle's number right now. Hey, can we put it up on the, okay. All right, yeah. It's part of the usher's ministry, Merle. So, oh, you want the children's ministry? You need a horse shot? Okay. So anyways, this is neither here nor there. Mostly there is where it's at. Where was I? Assembly, some assembly required, okay? So when we gather together, assiduously giving ourselves to being together. It means we are steadfastly, regularly persevering all the time in the apostles' doctrine and all the time we are together. And if we're missing, you guys, to use the body metaphor, you're a hand and you're not showing up to home groups and to the work project days and you're not showing up to church on Sunday and you're, you're a mouth and you're gone and you're you know a gluteus maximus muscle and you're gone, you know, then there's, what are we, people? What kind of a body is that? Get together and assemble together and you will have a well-functioning body that is useful and profitable. 
So I'm gonna be praying for you guys. Everyone knows where their place is in this church. Move on, Rory. Okay. The third essential thing, foundational practice that the early church did was they broke bread. They broke bread. They had love feasts regularly in the New Testament. They ate together. And if you know one thing about Calvary Chapel, mm -hmm, we don't meet unless we eat. Am I right? It's like, what should we do for 40 minutes between services? Uh, Donuts and coffee, I think. Okay. So yeah, we eat together. We break bread. And it's true that they were love feasts. But especially what was emphasized here was the breaking of bread in communion, breaking the bread in uh, remembering the Lord's body and his blood that were shed and broken so that we might have forgiveness and salvation. And that's something we do regularly, steadfastly here at the church. Number four, the early church continued steadfastly in prayer. The early church was a praying church. And I'm just telling you right now that as Christians, this is one of the most difficult things to carve time out for. And if you are a person that prays a lot by yourself, I really applaud you. That can be a hard thing to carve out. Praise God for your private individual prayer time. That's something the early church gave themselves to. But something that we see in the book of Acts regularly was corporate public prayer. Years ago, I moved here 13 years ago, and we did a study one of my first weeks here on the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts. Starting in Acts chapter one, all the way through, you continually see that the early church was together, 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 and they were praying, and they were petitioning, and they were interceding, and they were fasting, and they were worshiping. They were a praying church, and God was on the move. And that's something that developed and formed out of that teaching was that we have a Saturday night prayer meeting called The Pulse. That's what it comes from. It's from the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts. And I wanna encourage you guys for years, uh, the pulse has been a beautiful time of worship, a beautiful time of intercession. We pray for the nations as mentioned earlier. And I wanna encourage you to get your Google calendar out, put it in, you carve that little block out. First and third Saturdays of the month. When we first began doing the pulse, it was every Saturday night or it was every Thursday night. And then there was a period where we were like, you know, let's just let prayer be at home groups and just let them kind of take care of it man, home groups, we got so much going on. We got kids running around. We got to get that meal eaten. We got to go through the sermon notes and this, that. And just prayer was kind of pushed to the wayside. We're back at it. And the Lord has given us some grace. And he said, Rory, and I say that humbly. I'm like, I had a direct line. I was like, Rory, yes, Lord. You know, I just felt the Lord saying, Rory, you've got four kids. You've got, there's two churches, Polina and Prineville. You've got uh, a wife that owns her own business. You got, you're a coach, you're this and that. And everybody feels like that. There's, this is an endurance race. This isn't a sprint. Let's carve out every other week, essentially, to get together and to intercede for our church. I know how hard it is. I got a lot of things I, my flesh would rather do on a Saturday night. A lot of things. I like to just have a good time on a weekend, just like you guys. Carve it out. And when you come, I'm telling you, the Lord will be faithful to meet you. He'll teach you how to pray. Charles Spurgeon said, if your heart beats cold in prayer, and hammer it hot on the anvil of prayer. And that's so often what happens. Saturday, it's like, oh, the pulse is tonight, and our flesh is fighting. It's like, ah, yeah, and then you show up, and then you sit down, and you just start praying. And before you know it, well, last night was, it was a limited number of people, and um, we're like, oh, just maybe we'll make it shorter. And our hour prayer meeting was an hour and a half. Like, I don't even know what the Lord did. Just people were praying, all right? So I wanna encourage you guys to be a part of the New Testament persevering, praying 
church. Got a couple quotes for you concerning prayer. Number one, Samuel Chadwick said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. We got a lot of action going on around Calvary Primeville. We got all kinds of things. We got Awanas. We got Youth Wednesday. You know, like the Metropolitan Tabernacle of Spurgeon's Day was a busy beehive of activity. And man, we are down here. We got this rocking and rolling. We got this going. We got men's musters like twice every couple of months. We got a women's brunch happening. Love a good brunch. You know, we got all kinds of things happening. And you know what? If we're not praying and giving it over for the power of the Holy Spirit, then the, then the enemy is like, <laughs> oh, it's so dumb that you're doing that. Like, think of all the guys that didn't go to the muster, and now they're peeves that they didn't go to the muster, and everyone knows how to get diamond. I'm totally going to use that, you know. And, but when we're just, we have prayerful musters, prayerful Nepal trips, prayerful women's brunches, prayerful Awana's classes, then the enemy trembles. There's legitimate movement happening, okay? Uh, a guy named Richard Sibbs wrote a book on prayer. He said, when we go to God by prayer, the devil knows we go to fetch strength against him, and therefore he opposes us all he can The devil recognizes that when we go to prayer, we become supernaturally empowered. And therefore, the only thing he's afraid of is that we would ever get serious about prayer. You guys think the early church was serious about prayer? Oh, it's just a Middle Eastern thing. Those guys are always doing that kind of stuff. You know, you go to Nepal, you go to Kathmandu. Those Buddhists, they're totally into praying. Guess what, guys? Like, we have something real and genuine to be connecting to, someone real and genuine who wants to be a part of our lives and move in power. Let's get serious about prayer. Alistair Begg wrote, the devil's not too concerned about preaching that's not backed by prayer or worship that's not prayed out or witnessing that's not prayed out. He recognizes all the little monsters and creatures that he has and all the pitfalls along the journey that we make through life are more than able to swallow us up unless we are able to take seriously this thing called prayer. Spurgeon said, brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. And I hope, I hope right now the Lord's just turning that thermostat up in your heart to be a part of our church prayer meeting the first and third Sundays, of, Saturdays of the month. J.B. Johnston wrote a book called The Prayer Meeting and Its History, And he said, a congregation without a prayer meeting is essentially defective in its organization and so must be limited in its efficiency. As prayer uh, prayer meetings fail in a congregation, so will the ministrations of the pastor become unfruitful. The preaching of the word fail to convert sinners and promote holiness in the professors of religion. Uh, Armin Geswin and Fred Hartley wrote a book called Everything by Prayer, And in it, they said, you can tell how popular the church is by how many people attend Sundays. So, oh, praise the Lord. You know, we just had to move to two services and our church is growing. And oh, Lord, that it would be popular for your glory and that people would come to know you. Awesome. You can tell how popular the pastor is by how many people attend the midweek Bible study. We quit doing a midweek Bible study a long time ago because you could tell how popular the pastor was. No, we went to home groups. It's like, maybe they'll like these people. Um. And so, and then Hartman, Hartley says, you can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people attend the prayer meeting. Begg also said, so often churches discover that people aren't up to it. It takes a tremendous commitment to do it. 
They discovered people would be happier without it. And so they just let it go. It's so possible to do this in relationship to prayer. And that would be a great mistake. So what happened when the church continued in these things? The apostles' doctrine, uh, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and their goods and they divided them among all as anyone had need. There's three different times in the book of Acts where we see kind of like this little break and a little, uh, and a little description of the generosity that would happen in the midst of revival. We'll see it at the end of chapter uh, four and chapter five, I believe. And, uh, and here we have just this great description of what's been called the Jerusalem experiment. The Jerusalem experiment, it's not government-oppressed communism that we see here. What we have is gospel-inspired community. A sad, darn old communism ruined that word because it would be a good word, communism. Everyone together and having all things in common. Uh, we're gonna see that in chapter four that everyone, no one, I should say, considered their possessions to be their own, but they would give as anyone had need. Now, their possessions were their own. They just didn't selfishly think of them as, that's mine, that's mine. No, they're like, it's the Lord's. And the, the thing that we do see described is that wherever there was need, that was the moment that that item of land or whatever it may have been was sold to help provide for that individual. And that type of genera- generosity it causes the giver to only feel a squeeze when the person who received would have felt the pinch of the need, all right? So as we're generous, we just feel the squeeze of giving away the things so that that individual doesn't feel the pinch of going without it. And so something that we see is this word common at the end of verse 44. Common comes from the word koinonia. It's koinos, community, fellowship, sharing with one another, now, this could come from a little bit of the Qumran community, ASEAN group. They were a little bit on the strange side. When we go to Israel, we'll go to the Qumran community where they live, and it's where John the Baptist came out of. So think camel hair togas and eating bugs for a living. You know, that's like kind of what you're at. And part of the requirement was to give all of your things to that community. Uh, and yet, at the same time, there was a voluntary aspect of it. Some of the Anabaptists or some of the Hutterite communities, as communal as they are, at the end of the day, even their founders would say, but we want it all to be voluntary. So what we see here in the Jerusalem experiment is not a a compulsory communism happening. Uh, What we see is that as anyone had need, people with their own items would sell those things to help and to be generous to alleviate the pinch going to move on here. Verse 46, there's only 47 verses. We're almost done. Just breathe a little bit. Okay, this can't go on forever, can it? Um, Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. And so we see this steadfastness, this giving of themselves assiduously. This verse 46, continuing daily with one accord, in the temple, how interesting that they were still going to the temple. Somehow they were allowed to you know, rent out a room on Solomon's porch or whatever and to have some Bible study and to have some fellowship and to have some worship. In chapter three, we'll see them going to the temple to pray. 
but it was daily that they were together. Are these things that describe your spiritual life right now? Man, me and my wife and my family were giving ourselves assiduously to doctrine and studying doctrine, to fellowship with other Christians, to breaking bread with them and having communion, to praying together and with uh, individually and with the church. Uh, and there's a fifth thing that I'm gonna get to in just a little bit. Are these things that describe you daily being around the church of God? I believe that that's God's heart for a healthy, thriving church. Another thing that we see though, is that not only from verse 43 was there fear or reverence and awe that came upon this early church, which is a really good thing, but there was also gladness and joy in verse 46. Gladness and joy. Now, awe and gladness are both good things to have in a church. Reverence and joy are both good things to have in a church. It's right in public worship to be dignified, but it's unforgivable in public worship to be dull, okay? The spirit-filled church was a reverential, respectful church, but they also had a whole lot of gladness and a whole lot of joy. Uh, Literally, it's translated that they had uh, exultation and sincerity of heart. The NEB translation of the the Bible unites um, gladness and simplicity with the word unaffected joy. I just thank the Lord that I feel like that is something that marks our church, you guys, the joy. We sing that joy, that song a lot. There's joy in the house of the Lord, joy in the house of the Lord today. I mean, maybe not right now, but you usually. Okay, turn that frown upside down, you guys. We're almost done. What else did they do? Having joy and having uh, awe, verse 47, they praised God. They were praising God and they had favor with all of the people And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. And so our fifth and final foundational principle of a a healthy church and, and growing principle is that of evangelism. Evangelism. They were a witnessing church. They gave themselves to witnessing. I like what Alistair Begg said. I've known it since I was 19 years old. You either evangelize or you fossilize. What are you? What are you? I'll be honest with you. Like, sometimes I'm like, I'm praying about evangelism. I want to evangelize. I'm thinking about it, and I'm just not evangelizing. And then I'm getting a little creaky, getting a little dusty, you know? It's not flowing off the tongue so fast. Why? Because I'm fossilizing. You got to keep doing it. The more you evangelize, the more well-oiled machine you are to be able to do such. As uh, Henry Bohr expressed in his challenging book called Pentecost and Mission, he wrote, The book of Acts is governed by one dominant, overriding, and all-controlling motif. This motif is the expansion of the faith through missionary witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness, and continually, churches rise out of the witness. The church is a missionary church. And uh, we'll go ahead and let the worship team come on up. And just a little hint for Johnny, if you're listening, he's over teaching our middle schoolers right now. Johnny, if you can hear me. Okay. And uh, you'll go get Yeah, go get him. Go away. Don't be nice about it either. Okay. You guys want to stand with me? Let's close with just this last little phrase, okay? And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So as we talk about evangelism and we talk about witnessing and we talk about people Getting saved, isn't getting saved exciting? It's the Greek word sozo. Being saved from yourself, 
being saved from the wake of, of destruction that you've left behind you because of sin, being saved from the wrath of God and the penalty of sin, which is hell and torment forever and ever, we can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that ought to put a big smile on our face. But we also see that the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. There's a quick, a quick little witticism that Stott said. He said that the Lord didn't add them to the church without saving them. And the Lord didn't save them without adding them to the church. Did you catch that? Many people, they wanna become church members or they wanna be a part of a local church and they haven't yet been born again. You know, the first step of being a Christian is become a Christian. You gotta get saved. You gotta be born again. You gotta be regenerated. Well, how do I do that? I asked the middle schoolers that this week. It was awesome. And I, I tricked them a lot, pulled the rug out from under them. Oh, you gotta get baptized. Oh, what? Oh, you gotta, you know, wear a collared shirt and tuck it in. What? You know, and you're saying all these different things. And then there's this new little girl that's been coming. She's like, I know Pastor Rory. You know, like, oh, no way she knows. And she's like, you gotta be a good person. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I love you, but no. Um, I said, but a lot of people think that. It's not about being a good person. That's not how you're saved. It's realizing you're not a good person, but Jesus is good and he came to die for you so that you might live. He paid the penalty for you being a very bad person. So put your trust in Jesus and you'll be saved. And so the question today is, have you been saved? Have you been saved? And then the second thing is, all this talk about a healthy church today, five marks of a healthy church. Second thing is, once you've been saved, are you a part of a local church? Have you been part of that body? Have you assembled yourself in so that you are that bolt that just holds this thing together? You are that slide that just helps those kids have fun. You are those, you know, the little rings or whatever. You know, you have a place. Is this your church or do you have a church? Wherever you go, go somewhere. Go somewhere that does these five things and get plugged in. The Lord will add you to the church once you've been saved. None of this lone wolf Christian stuff, all right? None of this, you know, the forest is my sanctuary. I get what you mean. I love a good time with the Lord out on a horse as well. But that's not done the Christian make, okay? Being a part of a local congregation is necessary to be a Christian. To be saved, no. To be a Christian, yes, all right? So let's pray. I know that was a lot. Like, I didn't catch the last 20 minutes of that. That's okay. We'll listen to it later. Lord, here we have five wonderful things, descriptions with a prescription to it, Lord. I think it's just the great key to a healthy church. And we've seen you work so wonderfully here at Calvary. We thank you for the health. And we pray that just the more we purpose in our heart to be steadfast in these areas, that you would strengthen the weak things. You would shore up our foundations even more. We pray right now for anyone who's come to this church today and they've not yet been saved. They've not been born again yet. That where they're at right now, and, and I talk to you, person, right now where you're at, just trust in Jesus. Maybe you just verbalize that with your mouth right now and just say, Lord, I trust you. I rest in you. I believe in you, that your word is true. The Bible is true when it says that I have sinned against you and that as a sinner, the wrath of God is upon me. 
my destiny is torment forever. But Jesus, but God, who's rich in mercy, because of the great love that you've loved me, you came and you died on the cross for me. And I hear today that if I believe in you, I won't perish, I won't have wrath upon me, but I'll live forever. I'll live forever in paradise. And so where you're at today, if that's you, just you can just pray that prayer in your heart and just cry out to the Lord for forgiveness of sins and that he would grant to you a new start. His mercies are new today. And today is the day of salvation. And you can rejoice that just like the people we read about today, you're added to the church. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've been struggling living the Christian life because these five points have not been given over to in your life. You haven't cared about doctrine. You've hardly known doctrine or Christian theology. You have zero fellowship with other believers. There's no times of sharing meals with Christians and rejoicing in the gospel. There's a little bit of private prayer life, but there's no corporate prayer life. And the church is just struggling along without you. We need you. And there's been zero evangelism and you are beginning to fossilize. And the Lord today, he wants to put muscle on those bones. He wants to breathe life into those lungs. He wants to take the fossilization away and and give you great power and vigor and gusto in your witnessing ministry. It's why the Holy Spirit is given. So today, if that's you, just with purpose of heart, during this last song, just pray out to the Lord. Say, Lord, plug me into a local church. Maybe it's not Calvary. Maybe it's another church that just, you know that's home. Maybe the Lord would say it is Calvary Chapel and it's time to commit. It's time to press in. Time is short. I have a mission for you. I have a work for you. Years ago, there was a new lady come into the church and we had a meeting with her and just explained what it was like to be a part of our church. And she said, I'm ready. I wanna commit and I wanna show my devotion to the church. That was probably seven years ago and that stuck with me that someone would have devotion to a local church. Maybe the Lord would grant you that today. That's certainly our prayer. So let's pray these things today as we close.